SafetyFM.com with Jay Allen. Changing safety cultures one broadcast and one podcast at a time. Welcome to Safety FM, where we talk about safety that's truly inspired by you. Hello and welcome to Safety FM. This episode of the broadcast and the podcast has been brought to you by Safety Focus Moment. They are consultants that want to help you get to the safety culture that you've been looking for. For more information, go to safetyfocusmoment.com. Hello and welcome to Safety FM. This is Jay Allen. On today's episode, we have Kevin Rindle from Vomosity. Now, Vomosity is a very interesting company because what they do is something slightly different than most. What they want to assist your company with is workplace injury prevention. So I'm going to have Kevin jump right in on this episode of Safety FM. We are changing safety cultures. One broadcast and one podcast at a time. SafetyFM.com Hello and welcome to Safety FM. I have Kevin Rindle from Vimosity on the phone. And how are you doing today? Hey, I'm doing great, Jay. Thanks so much uh, for the opportunity. Hope you're doing well. I'm doing well. I appreciate you coming on. I have to tell you, we've kind of went back and forth, you and some of your partners, and we were trying to figure out a time that we could get you on. So we have you on, and I really, I don't understand how I'm going to be able to explain this perfectly. This is what I'm going to say, and then you can kind of steal it from here. You're not a company that focuses per se on safety, but you're a company that focuses on alleviating pain in a work environment. So how could you describe that to our audience? Yeah, that's, uh, that's correct. It, it, it's a different approach to, to injury prevention. I'll, I'll give you a little bit of background on uh, my experience. So uh, I've been practicing as a sports medicine practitioner. Uh, my training is as a chiropractor for the last, going on 13 years. Uh, the last nine years I've spent working with elite and professional athletes, uh, specifically the U.S. swim team is uh, one of the uh, organizations that I've worked with, done a lot of work with uh, the U.S. Olympic Committee and other professional and elite level organizations and love working with those athletes. A huge part of what I focus on is the preventative side of, uh, of injuries when it comes to, to that group. And we know that when athletes stay healthy, uh, they can train better, they recover better, and they can perform better. And so uh, a lot of the work that I've done with, with that group in particular has been related to what we call uh, soft tissue mobilization or treatment to muscles, tendons, ligaments, all, all of those soft tissues. Uh, we know that biomechanics or the way somebody moves uh, their range of motion is highly influenced by uh, the health of their soft tissues. And we also know that one of the the fundamental uh, keystone habits of professional athletes is that they regularly do what we call self-care or taking care of their their muscle and their joint health. Yeah, so if we were to rewind um, kind of my life story my uh, that kind of led me to down the path of being a sports medicine practitioner, I actually grew up in a really small town in Washington State. Pretty much all my family was either loggers, farmers, uh, or just people that worked really hard with with their bodies and 
what I particularly saw um, in my grandfather, who's someone who really influenced me, is that by the time he was in his mid-60s, his body was so beat up uh, that it, it would take him like 10 seconds just to be able to stand up straight when he would get out of his chair at the end of the day. And he, his quality of life was very much influenced by his ability to move well and by pain. And so he, he basically stopped living um, because of uh, because of the pain that he experienced on a regular basis. And so about four years ago, I, I was kind of reflecting all, on all these concepts of what we were doing for athletes. And then thinking back to my family members, and I'm like, man, there's gotta be a different way to approach um, what we call movement health uh, in the workforce, especially those in the manual workforce. And uh, right about that time I was working with uh, several executives in my clinic uh, at an energy company and they approached me about uh, developing an injury prevention program for their field workers and so essentially what we decided to do is bring all these concepts that we use in sports injury uh, to the workplace and created a, a program for, for that group. And I can, I can dive into that a little bit deeper here in a second. So let me ask you just a couple of things real quick. As you take a, this approach and you said that you were dealing with athletes and also now they're asking you to develop a program to, to bring into an organization, how are you able to, I guess, compare the two for it to actually work from, I guess, from the sports side to all of a sudden now you're going into an organization, which we didn't go into a, a lot of description of what exactly they wanted you to look at in that particular organization. And how do you get it to work from the athlete mode to all of a sudden now an organization is using it and how does that kind of translate over? Yeah, of course. So one of the, one of the, the facts is that we all have human bodies, whether you're a professional athlete or you're, you know, a manual laborer, and our bodies break down and function very similarly, whatever camp you're in. And so one of the things that we know is that athletes on a regular basis, uh, they do specific things to take care of their muscle and joint health. In the working world, we don't do much body maintenance. You know, a lot of us uh, take better care of our tools, our vehicles, um, than we do our own bodies. And oftentimes we we don't start to do preventative actions in terms of like helping our muscles function better, or our joints function better, until it becomes a problem and is either an injury or it's something like we need a cortisone injection or a hip replacement or something like that. And so uh, there are a couple ways that we can take principles from sports medicine and apply it to the working world. One of the things that uh, we did with that that group when we first started the company in uh, 2015 is we took them all, so a thousand of their employees, to what's called the functional movement assessment. And so that's kind of the gold standard of movement assessment in the athletic world. And so it's seven baseline movements. And what you can do from, uh, from that evaluation is you can look at basically every joint of the body to find out what areas are not moving well. Because we know that if one area in what we call the kinetic chain, so that's the series of joints, say the ankle, the knee, the hip, all the way up into the spine. If any one of those joints is not functioning the way that it's supposed to, it places stress above or below that, that area. So if I have limited hip mobility, I can't lift it or turn it out to the side the way that it's supposed to move, I'm gonna most likely compensate and try to find motion in other areas of my body. And so usually I'm gonna over rotate with my lower back. I'm gonna put more stress and strain on my lower back. And then what happens is it causes that increased wear and tear of the tissues. And then, then all it takes is bending down to pick something small up off the floor, you herniate a disc, and then it turns into you know, a very complex uh, work-related injury. So 
really that preventative piece, looking at how somebody moves, identifying where those areas, uh, you know, need to be addressed from a movement perspective, and then giving people and empowering them with the tools and the education to, to improve those areas before it becomes a problem. So when you start doing this, and all of a sudden now you're saying, okay, you have a human body, and of course there's a comparisons there from an athlete to now you're doing it in the work environment. And as you go through your website at Vomosity.com, it has a couple different references there, and it talks about your predictive analysis, your leadership training, your live education, your on, your online training and support. When you go into an organization and they're saying, okay, we're seeing these kind of injuries, how do you start using that data to make these predictive analysis on what they're going to potentially run into going forward? Yeah, so one of the, the big things that we do is we dig into their, their historical injury data. So usually we like to look at between five and 10 years of the injury data so we can look at uh, the different types of injuries, so that could be the mechanism of the injury, um, it could be the body part that was affected, uh, the type of injury, was it a sprain strain, was it a uh, fracture cut laceration, and then we can start to just get a landscape of, um, of what that injury profile looks for that company. The next thing that we do is we go on site and we actually watch uh, the industrial athletes perform their job tasks and that gives us a really good perspective in terms of what the demands are for uh, those individuals on a daily basis and they usually provide us a, a lot of information in terms of you know things that that they find put strain on their body and so then we can again start to develop a, a preventative program the third part uh, is where we actually empower the, the uh, ambassadors or leaders within the company to put to really help us promote uh, some of the, the principles that we're trying to implement in the program that we're trying to implement. And then uh, the next step is to actually educate uh, each one of the employees or the, the members of the workforce. Number one, on how their body works. Most people have no idea how their body works and what they should be able, what they should do to maintain their movement health. You know, we've all been taught how to brush and floss our teeth, but most people don't even know where to start when it comes to muscle and joint health. So we give them those uh, fundamental educational, um, that educational component, and then we perform that functional movement assessment. And so when we start to gather all that information, then what we can do is we can have a, a really good understanding of what areas we need uh, to focus on in terms of like future education, um, any intervention or, or training that we need to do with specific groups that might be more prone to developing an injury. Um, a really great example is uh, we're working with the utility company uh, and a lot of their gas workers had been experiencing injuries related to, to wrenching. Uh, but then when you looked at their injury data, uh, they didn't have many elbow and shoulder injuries, which you'd usually associate with wrenching. They had a lot of lower back injuries. When we dug a little bit deeper, what we found is that when we talked to, to the workforce, is they're incredibly stiff and sore uh, after sitting in their vehicles for an extended period of time to go to the job. They'd get out and then they'd perform the task. Uh, their body wasn't ready to perform that task, uh, wasn't warmed up properly, and so then the action of wrenching placed extra stress on their lower back, caused lower back injuries. But we wouldn't have understood that wrenching and lower back injuries were connected to the sitting that, that happened um, leading up to the injury and wouldn't have been able to develop an effective um, you know, preventative strategy for them 
if we didn't have all those uh, components of the equation. Well, you actually covered quite a bit in that answer, so we're probably going to have to go back and probably really try to break some of it down. So I apologize, I'm backtracking a little bit. But I, I want to understand this. So when you, when you go in and you're doing the predictive analysis and you're looking at the injuries that they've had for the last five to 10 years, are you looking essentially at their loss runs or are you looking at their workers' comp claims or exactly what are you looking at when you go in there? Yeah, so when we go in, we're looking at the workers' comp claims um, and some of those may contribute to the dart rates for the days away restricted days. It might just be their overall injuries that, uh, that they recorded, but didn't necessarily lead to a dart injury. So we're looking at their comprehensive uh, injury data for that time period. And then when you start going in and you start having the conversation and training the leadership, what does that look like? So if I'm somebody who's interested in bringing your company on Vimosity, how does that actually, how do you have that conversation at first opposed to if we've already contracted you, but you're giving us the information of what the leadership, you know, just ballpark on what the leadership training looks like. Yeah, so it's kind of like a train-the-trainer type uh, training where we come in and we first educate uh, each one of those ambassadors or uh, people who are going to be leading the program at their particular location, just giving them the back information of uh, of what we're going to be sharing with their actual team members. We're going to go over some of the historical injury data because a lot of uh, those people have no idea what the historical trends are or what job tasks are creating those injuries. So we, we try to give them um, the full scope of that picture, uh, get them implemented and started with the program ahead of time so that by the time we roll the program out to the rest of the team members, they've already been uh, implementing some of these, uh, the program on a daily basis and they can speak to the, to the benefits that they've experienced. And then when you start doing the assessment where you're there and you're looking at the workers and you said sometimes you get a lot more information from, than what you kind of really bargained for um, from the actual team members, what exactly do they tell you? Do they kind of tell you like, we're told to perform in this particular matter or the, our process and procedure says X, but we've discovered that this is a better method going this other way or normally how do those conversations go? Yeah, we we try not to to dig too deep and let them perform the task the way that they would normally do it. And we'll, we'll ask, uh, you know, very specific questions and then just let them expand on, on those questions. But a lot of what we find, we, we oftentimes will uh, do a job shadow with somebody who's newer to the company and then somebody who's been with the company, you know, for 20, 30 years. And what we oftentimes find is that there's some best practices that that um, more veteran employee uh, have adopted over the years and little tricks that they've learned uh, that really haven't been passed down to, to some of the, the newer members of the workforce. And so we find that kind of seeing the different perspectives there and how people are performing those tasks has been a great way for us to be able to um, idea share on improved ways that, that people can perform those tasks. And we definitely bring our expertise of biomechanical analysis and ergonomics uh, to the equation, but uh, we do find that we learn a lot from the employees. And then you, you referenced something else earlier where you were talking about that you, you had a lot of injuries, or one particular company had a lot of injuries, and it was dealing with the amount of time that it took to travel from where they started to where the actual work was being performed. So based on that, are you recommending some kind of, I guess, pre-job warm-up? Is is almost what it sounded like, or was I kind of understanding that incorrectly? No, exactly. 
and it doesn't take much. Uh, I mean, it could just be like one or two minutes, but uh, you know, when we sit, that's the most unnatural position for our body to be in. Um, and so certain muscles tend to get tight and other muscles tend to kind of get shut down or not function as well as they're supposed to. Places increase uh, stress on uh, the discs of our spine and the joints of our spine. And so, uh, you know, just as a field goal kicker, he wouldn't come straight off the bench and jump into the game. He'd perform a series of just real basic moves to prepare his body for um, activity. We try to have uh, the workforce just implement like one or two quick things that, like I said, only take about 30 seconds to a minute to prepare their body and transition from the sitting to actually performing the job task. Because you know automatically when you start talking to people and you start saying, hey, um, we're going to do some kind of warm-ups, automatically people that don't like to exercise, and I'm saying just for an example, they're going to default to, is this going to be P90X or Insanity or something along those lines? And I say that jokingly, but that's sometimes what people kind of analyze. So. You're saying that it's a one to two minute warm-up scenario, depending on what kind of work they're doing. Yeah, that's been one of the things that we've really tried to differentiate with uh, with this whole process is we aren't promoting exercise necessarily to, to these people because exercise can be kind of a scary word or it can be something that puts people off. And so really we're focused on what we call mobility. It's just your joints being able to, to move well and um, can function the way that they're supposed to, or at least as well as they can. And I think when people kind of understand the difference between exercise and movement quality, um, when people move well, they have less pain and they just feel better in general. And most people like to feel better. And so I think that we've been able to knock down a lot of barriers for people just by talking about mobility and movement health as opposed to exercise. You're listening to Kevin Rindle from Vomosity here on Safety FM. Now, just another question for you. Let's talk about real quick about office workers. And I know that you said earlier that one of the most, I guess, uncomfortable positions or kind of not a position that your body should normally be in is sitting for a long period of time. So would you say for office workers, it's a good idea to do the standing decks that's becoming more and more popular as of late? Yeah, I think that that's a great tool. Um, It's not the end all be all. And um, there's some emerging research that shows that if you stand all day, there are actually some negative health uh, consequences to that, like varicose veins, um, other things associated with just increased stress to your body. So I never advocate for somebody 100% going to standing, but I think that having the ability to, to vary your position um, is really important. So uh, typically I recommend if somebody has a sit to stand up, stand about 50% of the day, sit about 50% of the day, and maybe even have a couple different options for sitting like a traditional chair maybe a perching stool or uh like an exercise ball something like that okay because i know that depending on what kind of environment you are in and some office don't even allow the the yoga ball or the exercise ball because of injuries that had occurred previously and it just really depends on what kind of organization that you're in so i'm not saying that it's good or bad or indifferent um i know that i worked for a particular company that they said that you had to have the holder for the actual the actual exercise ball, they called it a yoga ball. I don't know why they called it a yoga ball, but that for it to actually be in place and that would be the only way that they were allowed to use it. I guess that was just their particular preference. So when you go into a company and you start having conversations about implementing the plans that Vomosity could actually do for an organization, normally I know the question has to come about in regards of return on investment. So when you're talking to some of the upper management and the leaders, what does that conversation normally look like? Yeah, so. Um, that's one of the reasons why we like to 
really dig into that injury data right from the get-go, and we like to play an active role in solving uh, solving some of these uh, issues that they're having beyond just implementing a stretch and flex program because we're we're not just a stretch and flex program, and so the numbers really do speak for themselves. After you know implementing this program uh, for with a couple of our clients for going on five years now, we have a lot of data that shows that trend of uh, not only reduced number of injuries, but reduced number of days away and restricted days. And um, and then we can look at actual workers' comp claims. And so it's pretty objective to be able to, to look at the results from, from those programs. And uh, beyond that, what we consistently hear is that uh, the feedback is always so positive. I mean, when people, again, are not in pain and they feel better and they feel like they're empowered to you know, play an active role in getting up and moving and doing positive things for their body. They just have a better attitude. And so um, I've had several executives tell me, you know, it's great that we've saved a lot of money with this program. It's more than paid for itself. But the increase in morale and the fact that our employees know that we uh, care about them and we're wanting to invest in them, that carries a lot of weight too. So I, th- I think there are a lot of components to the ROI that are difficult to calculate. but. Um, are definitely seen from the impact that it has on uh, the morale and the, uh, the culture of the organization. Yeah, I'm sure that the morale has to play a big factor, especially when they're saying, hey, somebody's actually coming in, taking a look and really caring about us as individuals, as a team, as an organization. So it has to really make them feel well in that particular regards. Now, when you first come in, you do the assessment. How often do you come back in to kind of like reevaluate what's going on? Is that kind of a frequent, a frequency thing or is it just kind of based on organization to organization? Yeah, it's based on organization. Uh, typically, when we first uh, implement the program with an organization, we do an initial assessment, the functional movement assessment. And then we come back after about eight to 10 weeks after the organization has been on the program. We come back and we retest because we can, you know, have then uh, make some objective decisions in terms of like, are these people seeing improvement? Is there improvement in, uh, you know, the quality of movement and how people are responding to that, whatever uh, we have implemented with them from a program perspective. Uh, Usually we just do that in the first year and then in follow-up years, maybe we'll uh, take a subset. Um, We oftentimes look at kind of the higher risk uh, groups and we'll go back and we'll retest them. Uh, But oftentimes if we're limited to a certain uh, budget, we try to implement some additional education where we focus more than on the ergonomics, the job tasks, um, performance, and and kind of building off of the the foundation of the year one program. So uh, that functional movement screen is usually just a first year uh, emphasis. Uh, What we have found is that usually after we've been um, working with the the field-based workers for one to two years, oftentimes they'll then implement it uh, to the desk-based workers or the office-based workers uh, if the organization has both office and field. Kevin, if people want to know more about Vomosity, what do they need to do? Yeah, they can just go to Vomosity.com, which is D-I-M-O-C-I-T-Y.com, or I can be reached at Kevin at Vomosity.com. Kevin, I appreciate you coming on today, and thanks for being on here on Safety FM. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the host and its guest and do not necessarily reflect the official policy or position of the company. 
Examples of analysis discussed within this podcast are only examples. They should not be utilized in the real world as the only solution available as they are based only on very limited and dated open source information. Assumptions made within this analysis are not reflective of the position of the company. No part of this podcast may be reproduced, stored in a retrieval system, or transmitted in any form or by any means, mechanical, electronic, recording, or otherwise, without prior written permission of the creator of the podcast, Jay Allen. SafetyFM.com